Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. Morning. Welcome to Sunday School. Um, like Aaron said, there's small groups uh, lists on your table, but there's also a first-timer card. So if, you, if this is your first time to Sunday School and you'd like to fill one of those out and bring it to the table out the back doors there, uh, we have a gift for you just to welcome you, say thanks for coming to Sunday School. We're really glad you're here. This is a great place. It's a great community. So um, if you are looking to get involved in a small group, what better place than here? Um, like she said, we're going to start uh, the month of September. We're talking about the book of Isaiah. So I'm going to start this week and kind of give an introduction to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, I think, for me, growing up as a Christian, I was I'd read the Bible, and I'd get to this book called Isaiah, and it confused the junk out of me. I was like, what in the world is this book? I have no idea what it is. Um, so I'm going to try to help kind of frame the discussion so that this month, when we talk about Isaiah, you guys all have a little bit of a framework to put it all into, and it can maybe make a little bit more sense, and you can get a little bit more out of the next few weeks. Um, so I'm going to start off by reading Isaiah 6, 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, would you take them out? And open to Isaiah 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. The reason that this verse is significant um, is this is kind of, uh, this is a really well-known verse from Isaiah. And this is, I guess you could call it, this is Isaiah's commission. This is what he would consider to be the the call that he got to be a prophet um, to Judah and to Israel. And so, here we go. Isaiah 6, 1 through 10. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So that, like I said, that's Isaiah. This is this moment where Isaiah um, receives this call into the ministry of being a prophet. It's, he receives a vision of, from the Lord. He sees this, um, it's a visioner, vision experience. You know, he, he isn't actually seeing these things with his eyes. It's kind of in what you might call your mind's eye. And this is the moment that Isaiah writes that this is his commission. This is when he's called into what it is that he does. Um, and so we're going to look at the date for, uh, for the book of Isaiah. When, when we look at any book in the Bible, it's helpful to know a few things. These are kind of called the introductory matters. These things might include what's the date, what's the timeline that we're working with, when was this book written, 
Or when was this book? In, in the case of Isaiah, people believe it might have actually been penned at a different date than when it was, you know, for maybe first written in parts or compiled. Um, but, but like we see in, in the first verse of chapter 6, he clearly states, in the year that King Uzziah died. So that's kind of the start of this ministry. Um, we know that King Uzziah was king from 783 B.C. to 742. Uh, and Isaiah kind of spans this time between 783 B.C. to 687 B.C. So that's the time frame that we're working with. And then we're looking at Isaiah, who's the author of this book, and we, it's helpful to know who he is. So, so one thing I wanted to point out is we, you might have heard the term prophet, and you might not have. You might not understand what it is. Um, and when you look at the Bible, there's, it's something that's used quite a bit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he writes, he, he writes this little verse here. It says, So Christ, gave himself, uh, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So we know that Isaiah is a prophet, but what does that mean? Do you guys, everyone feel like pretty comfortable? I know for some of you, you might say, I don't really totally understand what that means. So just as a quick little aside to the conversation, before we start, we're going to have our first discussion question right out of the gate here. And the discussion question is, when we look at Ephesians 4, verse 11, which is what I just read to you, if you want to turn there because you're going to want to reference it, we see, what, we see what is commonly called the five-fold ministry of the church. And, and it's important to note that when Paul writes Ephesians, he's writing in the context of the church, and Isaiah is kind of in the, in the Old Testament lens, so it's a little bit of a different story here, but I want to take a minute and look at what that means. So, so when we see the fivefold ministry of the church, which Paul just lined out, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, what do those mean? So if you take a minute, if you're, if you're with people at a table, if you're not, just get, jump into a table and join the discussion. But what, develop a brief description of each of those five things, the fivefold ministry. So maybe just one sentence, if you can boil it down to a real, real simple thing. What would you say an apostle is? What would you say a prophet is, an evangelist, pastors, and teachers? So go ahead and take a few minutes and talk about that. All right. So hopefully you guys had great discussions. Just because of time, I won't go into the other four offices of the church. Um, that would be apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But we're going to talk about prophets. So what would you guys say were some of the main themes that happened, that came out in your discussion about what does it mean to be a prophet? You can just go ahead and kind of shout them out. They speak the truth. They bring vision, revelation, encouragement. Anyone else? Yeah, spokesperson for God. Say that one more time. Conviction. Yeah, conviction. Yeah, those are, those are all things that fall into that, that office of being a prophet. So when you look at a prophet and you say, okay, what, what, what was Isaiah's role? You might be able to be helped in the conversation by knowing that this is someone who probably considered himself the mouthpiece of God for, for the nation of Israel. So when Israel's going through life, going through these wars, going through whatever, 
Isaiah is saying, I'm, God has asked me to speak for him to you guys. So he, he's kind of shouting out and hoping that people will listen, especially kings. So we're going to look at who Isaiah was. We don't really know a whole lot about Isaiah as a person. Uh, we, we get a lot of his writing. We understand a lot of what he's had to say. We understand a lot of what he was involved with, with the book of Isaiah. When you read it, you can see, okay, he was involved in this time and had all these things to say about Israel in this time. But as far as a personal life, the things we can, we can gather from the book of Isaiah is that he was married. Uh, Isaiah 8, 3, you can, you'll see that he's talking about a son, and he says, then I went to the prophetess, which is referring to his wife. And most people believe that that's not necessarily meaning that she was also a prophet, but more the wife of the prophet is, is what a lot of scholars believe. We don't see her really like speaking or, or having prophecies adding to the book of Isaiah in that way, um, just kind of so that can be cleared up for you. Uh, he has two sons, and the thing that's kind of significant about his sons, they're both referenced in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, 3 is the first son, and chapter 8, 3 is the second son. And the son's name, I'm going to really butcher the names because I don't speak Hebrew or understand how they should be pronounced, but the first son is, is Sheer Jashub, and the meanings of the son's names is pretty significant, and I'll, I'll show you why in a second. The second son is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And so, yeah, like I said, that's probably not exactly how you pronounce them. But the first son's name means a remnant shall return. And that's significant because this book of Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about all the, the exile, the turmoil, the trials that Israel will have to face. But throughout it all, he's, he, he, there's this theme that a remnant of Israel will re- remain and return to faith in, in, in God. So there's this hopeful name that's in his first son. And then the second son, his name means spoil quickly and plunder speedily. As I was reading that this week, I thought, that son probably felt like he got gypped, where it's like the first son has this cool name of like, a remnant shall return. It's really hopeful. And then the other one is like, spoil, plunder. It's pretty, pretty, pretty rough. But, but again, that's, that's significant because this book of Isaiah is filled with, it's hand in hand, this warning to Israel and a comfort to Israel. So even the names of his, son follow that, his sons follow that theme. So that's kind of all we know about the personal life of Isaiah, for sure, is that he had a, a wife and two sons, and we know the name of his sons, but not the name of his wife. We Scholars believe that he was someone who is kind of in higher class in Israel. Uh, he had, we see that he, had, he was at least on speaking terms with the king, which I'm sure you couldn't just decide one day that you could go and talk to the king at different times when you had these visions. So people believe he, he was in the upper class and was had availability, had the opportunity to speak to the king. Uh, it's also important to recognize that Isaiah, they don't believe that he had an actual position with the, the temple, with the professionals, if you will. So I think that's important too because for some of you in this room, the tendency might be uh, in your faith and in your walk with Christ to wait for the professionals to, to lead and guide. But Isaiah is this very significant and very influential figure in the scriptures and they don't believe that he actually had an office with the temple. They don't believe that he had an official position. So he was called by God and just did it. He, whatever it meant, he just was obedient to that call and became the mouthpiece of God, became this prophet, without necessarily having 
the authority to do so. Um, and so I would say use that as an encouragement in your life. If you feel like, man, I, I do feel like I have some prophecy and whatever it is in me, or I do feel called to be an evangelist, but I don't have a job in ministry, I don't think that should be something that stops you. So that's a little encouragement on the side. So that's kind of what we know about the personal life of Isaiah. The audience. So who's the recipient? Who is Isaiah speaking to? And we believe that this is especially the kings of Judah, um, but basically the nation of Israel. It's a, it's a warning and a comfort to Israel. Remember that there's a divided monarchy at this time. So when Isaiah is talking to Judah and Jerusalem. Those are two separate kind of entities at this moment. They'll, they'll be united under David. And then we're going to talk about the three major sections of Isaiah. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to help to, to kind of make this really easy to understand. But again, Isaiah can be confusing. And these three sections, even within Isaiah, have very different themes and tones. And so people, people have very clearly lined them out. And, and even, I can get into this later, but they, people might even believe that they were actually written and penned by different authors. And I'll, I'll help explain that and why that's not a shock to our faith in a second. So the three major sections. You kind of have the, the first section is chapters 1 to 37. And the theme here is that there's a glorified king to come. And I'm going to, I don't know if you can all see this, hopefully you can. This diagram on the board is, is, was really helpful for me. So I'll try to move this out of the way a little bit. It's kind of going to be in the way of someone no matter what. But imagine that this is Isaiah seeing all the things that he writes. And Isaiah is right down here at the bottom of this little diagram. And he's, where we're looking from the top of this and looking at this chart, he's looking from this dot at the bottom and he's looking along this dotted line. So he's seeing through kind of this dark area into this light area. Again, a dark area, light area, dark area, light area. So this first section is here. It's the, it's the bottom of this little chart. And it might be even helpful. I'd like to encourage you, not because this is something that I came up with, but that I learned from something I studied this week. And it is really helpful when, when you hear someone quote a scripture from Isaiah, and you can kind of put it in this chart. It really does help you to understand. So since we're here for a month, we're going to be talking about Isaiah. It w- probably would be helpful to write this on the back of the notes and then bring it with you next week. And so you can kind of see where all these verses fall. So chapters 1 through 37 is a glorified king to come. And so this dark area represents, Isaiah sees kind of a warning for Israel. He, he sees that there's a failed king in King Ahaz. And so where Ahaz fails, we'll write Ahaz's name down here. Where Ahaz fails, he's pointing to a perfect king. So this light area is Isaiah saying, while there is trial, there's something better coming. So a perfect king is this first light area. It's important to know that the first six verses of Isaiah are really his introduction, um, that he, he kind of writes his own introduction, if you can call it that, and then he goes on till, ver- till chapter 37 to talk about this perfect king to come. The second section, chapters 38 to 55, he's talking about a servant, someone who bears sins, and a savior. So here, the, the author that kind of developed this chart, he wrote here that there's failed faith. And he points out that the, 
especially in this case, this is the failed faith of leadership um, or a king. Uh, the king here is Hezekiah. And you'll note that um, Isaiah is writing this book over a long period of time. I'm going to move this tree here so you can see that. So he's writing over a long period of time. So as he's writing the first 37 chapters, there are different kings, there are different leaders. And then when he's, you know, so as it progresses, there's different people in leadership. It's, it's happening in real time for Isaiah. Another thing that I'll mention is in each of these cases, uh, there's kind of like a pressing um, figure that's oppressing Israel. So here in the bottom with Ahaz, that is represented in Assyria. And then in the second one with Hezekiah, that's represented in Babylon. Kind of an outside influence, mostly negative, on Israel. Okay, and then, so with failed faith, the redemption is a perfect savior. Uh, let's see if I can spell perfect. A perfect savior. And then we move up to the, the final chapters, which is chapters 56 to 66. And here, the, the outside influence is kind of an alien world, if you will. It's kind of like the, um, for us, it would be like the, the unchurched world, the unbelieving people, it's kind of society. And here, the, the failure is human inadequacy. So we have, here is a, a failed king, Ahaz. Then with Hezekiah, we have failed faith. Hopefully this is making sense and I'm not going too fast. And then up top, we have human inadequacy. So this is kind of an individual, um, see if I can spell this right, individual failed faith, if you, if, if you can call it that. So where, where the failed faith in the second tier is the nation of Israel's failed faith, this is kind of like on, an, on a personal level. And then, the light spot here, the, the thing to come, is a perfect conqueror. And you're starting to see a theme here. There's this figure, or th three different sections here that have something or someone that is perfect. This is a great opportunity for us all to have, or all to use, the perfect Sunday School answer. So, what are the three light spots pointing towards? Jesus. All right, great. It's great to have a Sunday school lesson where everyone can yell out Jesus because that's always the right answer. So, so yeah, there's three sections here. Like I said, there's failed, a failed king in Ahaz, failed faith with Hezekiah, human inadequacy. Chapters 1 through 37, 38, I didn't write these down, 38 through 55 here, and then 56 through 66. And then in each section we have a perfect king who is and will be Jesus, a perfect Savior who is and will be Jesus, and a perfect conqueror who is and will be Jesus. So, like I mentioned before, we're going to talk about authorship, and this is something that people still debate about. When you're looking, about, looking at authorship of a book, you might see when you're studying it, you might see things that are a little bit at first concerning, where it's like, we don't even know who wrote this, but I want to help to quell those concerns, because it's, the book is obviously attributed to Isaiah. So they say, Isaiah wrote the book. 
And then some scholars believe, well, the writing styles of the second two sections or different parts of the book seem pretty strange. Um, not, not strange in the sense that they're weird or have odd things to say, but they're just different than the rest of the book. So the way that I can explain this, are you guys all familiar with Desperation Leadership Academy or the desperation movement that's happening here at the church? So there's Desperation Conference, there's, uh, there's a Leadership Academy, and this was founded and is run by David Perkins. David Perkins has been a pastor at our church. He's now working for Every Home for Christ, which is a ministry here in town. But David helped to start and run Desperation. So imagine, imagine David, is, David is to Isaiah, and so Isaiah starts writing this book, and he starts this ministry of being a prophet, just like David has started Desperation. And so let's say David starts writing a book that would one day become a book of the Bible, and then he, whether he gets too old to write or he invites other people into the process, there are people on his staff or people who he's taught that kind of carry the torch for him, and they finish writing the book. And so the biblical scholars who are very respected, who say that Isaiah didn't write all of the book, are not just saying that the rest is plagiarized or false or whatever. They're saying they're, they still attribute it to Isaiah because they say it's kind of this school of Isaiah that was possibly raised up by Isaiah who finished the work. So if you ever hear someone say that Isaiah might not have written the whole book of Isaiah, it's not something that should shock you or concern you because it, it was people kind of in his world, people in, in, in the fold of his ministry who, who finished. A couple of things that are really important to recognize is that um, in, in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles make reference to Isaiah in the sense that we might reference the book of 1 Corinthians. So they def there's definitely times where when they're reference referencing Isaiah, they're talking about this book. Like, if I reference this book, this is the Bible. But there's also times where they reference very clearly the person, Isaiah. And it's kind of difficult to see when you're reading it in the English translations, but both of those are there. So that's important to know that that to some extent, to a very good extent, even Jesus and the New Testament writers understood and believed that Isaiah wrote a significant portion of the book in order to attribute, to, attribute it to him in that way. And for them to reference both the book and the person is significant. So we don't know for sure who wrote the book, but we assume that it was Isaiah and people around Isaiah. One of the things that's really interesting, and this is one of the things that people debate about, is obviously Isaiah is calling things out. He's, in a sense, like almost like a, someone who might be a fortune teller, but way better than that. Um, so he's, he's calling out. He's saying, guys, this is going to come. This is going to happen. He's, he's kind of forecasting these events. And one of the things is later on in the book, he references this guy named Cyrus. And the scholars say that he wouldn't have been able to do that. So Cyrus was a king. And they're basically saying, not only did he know that a king would come, but he knew this guy's name. And so he called it out way before Cyrus became king. He, he mentioned his name. And so scholars say, should we point that to forecasting, to him having such a good read on what God is saying, that God is giving him the names of kings to come? Or is that a good evidence that someone else who was later than Isaiah wrote that and knew the name of the king, Cyrus? So I, I'm okay with both of those options, you know, and I think for you, if, if that concerns you. Um, it, I think it should be comforting that it's all these people who worked with Isaiah, who were close with Isaiah. 
The other thing that's important to note um, is that the New Testament quotes the prophet Isaiah more than any of the other prophets. You know, in the Bible, we have these minor prophets and major prophets, uh, and Isaiah is quoted more than all of them. So, so it is a significant piece of work in the scriptures that we have. And Isaiah is, he, he's the eye into the future. He has these eyes into the future. He's tasked with being the voice of God to the people of God. And like I said earlier, the prophets would consider themselves the mouthpiece of God. So it wasn't someone who thought, you know, I woke up and had a dream and I feel like I'm going to tell it. It was this person who very clearly believed and very clearly saw that they were getting direct visions from God for the nation of Israel and they were going to share it. And that was their task. That was their goal in life. So I'm going to talk about, to kind of finish up here, I'm going to talk about the the main themes that we see, the things that are important to Isaiah. One of those is faith. And we can, con- we can compare Isaiah to the Apostle Paul in the sense that when you read the New Testament, you see that one of the big things that Paul focused on is the faith of the people. Faith as this, as this way of reaching God, as this way of having a relationship with God. And Isaiah would do the same thing, where in Isaiah's time, it was very much a works-based uh, system set up within the temple. You know, if you sinned, you had to walk through this process. If you sinned, you had to go and give a sacrifice. Isaiah was pointing towards this new and better way of doing things. That's faith. And that's kind of the completion of, of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. And we see all the traces of that in Isaiah's writing. So when you read Isaiah, it's important to recognize the times when he, he's talking about faith, when he's, when he's pointing towards faith as as the, the way of doing things. The second thing is Isaiah is very concerned with divine law and justice. Um, so uh, one, of the, one of the, again, more prominent verses that's ve- quoted very often is Isaiah 58, and I'm going to read 6 through 9 here. Um, it says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? So in Isaiah, around this time, he's talking about fasting, um, points towards all the bad ways of fasting, And then it says, is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. So, again, this theme of justice is all throughout the book of Isaiah. It's, it's all over Isaiah. And one, uh, the author, uh, again, of this commentary that I pulled a lot of this stuff from, which was really good, his name is J. Alec Motier. Um, he's, he basically says that for Isaiah, the, how justice is happening for people like the oppressed, for the poor wanderer, for the people who don't have food, if that is all being taken care of, it's a good indicator of man's attitude toward God. That's pretty significant. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways of kind of giving you a benchmark or, or a test of like where you walk in your face. And, and I think that's a great thing to kind of always be evaluating. How am I doing with my walk with the Lord? But Isaiah, in Isaiah, we have this convicting, I think, for me at least, convicting evaluation of how we're doing with our walks with God, and that is, how are you guys taking care of the people around you? 
I think for me, there are times in my life where, and for my personal evaluation, I think, oh man, I'm having great quiet times, I'm having great prayer time, and so I feel like I'm doing great. But in those times, if you, if you were to like match these two evaluations up on a time, timeline and look at them, those times, for me, personal prayer times, personal quiet times with God, uh, just feeling like I'm really close with Him, they don't always line up with times in my life where I'm really taking care of the people around me. And so this was, I think, helpfully convicting to me is to recognize that for Isaiah, man's attitude toward God is directly shown by what's happening with justice around the world. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Does that feel like, I mean, like I said, for me it was convicting and hopefully in a good way it is for you that you, you just recognize that when, when you feel like you're doing great with God or not, there's this call that we have to take care of the oppressed, to take care of the people around us. And we can, we can recognize when things are off when we're not taking care of the people around us. And I thought, wow, I need to do a better job at that, and that's a great way. I mean, for me, it was, it was this thing of, like, I think I want to do that in my life, where, yes, all the other things are important, but one of the things that I always want to check is, how am, I taking, how am I doing at taking care of the people around me? And that's something that was important for Isaiah. So, so again, we have... I want to kind of re-look re at this chart because next week, uh, like we talk about this, we see in these light spots here, the perfect king, perfect savior, and perfect conqueror. And we all know that this, this is a messianic prophecy. It's, it's Isaiah pointing towards the Messiah, the, the, the son of God who will come. For, for them, it's in hundreds of years but he's, he's saying, while, while we're in the midst of life and we're seeing these dark areas, while we're seeing trials come and while we're seeing oppression and for them exile and for them Israel being taken over or having everything they have taken to a different country, there's this, there's this hope to come. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He's, he's warning and he's comforting and he's pointing towards the Messiah. And so next week, Brad Baker is going to come and he's going to talk about how the all these prophecies that we see in Isaiah relate to the New Testament, to the gospel, to the story of Jesus. And so that'll be really, really, I think, an awesome time to look at how much this book actually influenced the New Testament and how much of this, I heard, so, so this is kind of off the top of my head. I heard it a long time ago. So you can check me on this if you want. But I heard someone say once that for someone to, to so accurately fulfill the prophecies that are mentioned in Isaiah, it would be like filling the state of Texas with five quarters high. So if you stacked a bunch of quarters, filled the state of Texas, for someone to fly over and pick the right one quarter. You know, is that improbable that a person might come onto this earth and accidentally or intentionally fulfill all the prophecies that are mentioned in Isaiah about the Messiah? And Jesus came and did, did all of them. So that's pretty significant. And so Brad Baker next week, next week is going to talk about all that. He's going to talk about how how much the book of Isaiah is, is tied into the New Testament and the, the gospel story, the story of Jesus. So it's important to recognize for us that, that while this is very much a book of warning and comfort to people in their time, for Israel in that time, when they're faced with trials right in front of them, he's pointing towards a, a warning and a comfort that is very present, that's very close to the time that they're living in. But he, 
but he's maybe doing something more important than that. And for us in our lives, you know, we, we have these moments where we're walking through hard times, and you might say, God, would you help me, and would you, would you rescue me from whatever it is, whatever the circumstance is, whether you need healing in your life or whether you need healing in your body. We believe that God does all those things, but we also believe that God does something more important, and that is this kingdom that's coming. And so Isaiah is warning and comforting the, the people of Israel in their, in their time, in their time frame, but he's also pointing towards a, a greater hope that is to come in Jesus. So, um, yeah, so that's basically all I've got for today. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray to close out, um, and then we have a little bit of extra time to hang out and talk with people. And remember that this is Connect Sunday, so if you guys wanted to go over to the main building and look at small groups that are, um, that are available, or if you just want to talk, there, there's a list of small groups here, and some of those small group leaders are here in the room. So if you have questions about those groups and you want to get involved, I'd encourage you to do that. But uh, let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the scriptures that we have that, that are written to people at a different time but speak to us in, in a significant way. And Lord, we thank you for the book of Isaiah. We pray that you would bring understanding and revelation to us this month as we walk through the book, as we learn, and as we work to understand it more, God. We want we want our goal here at Sunday School to be to understand your word, to understand what it is that you have for us through the scriptures. And Lord, would you do that in us? Would you do that um, through Brad and through Joe as they teach on Isaiah? Lord, we're so thankful for the way that you do put people in our lives to, to speak for you, for us, God. And so we, we, um, we invite you to do that in our lives. Lord, would you, would you give us um, a, renewed, a renewed hope and a renewed outlook and perspective on prophecy, God? Would you rise up people in this room who, who might be very gifted in the, in the gift of prophecy? And would you give them the, the courage and strength to speak to the people who they feel like they need to speak to, to encourage and to comfort, Lord? And so we just thank you for the book of Isaiah, and we thank you for your son who's, who's um, pointed to in the book of Isaiah so much. We're so thankful for the Messiah and for the Christ that came and is to come, Lord. And, and so we just say thank you um, for, for your involvement in our lives. We thank you for your rescue of our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So yeah, like I said, we've got a little bit extra time this week, um, so go ahead and meet the people around you, ask questions about small groups, and then we can go over and check out the booths and groups for Main Church. We'll see you next week. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday school.